Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, church. And this is okay, right? Yeah, okay. Right. Uh, let me show you this picture of a handsome guy. This is uh, Andy Slack, winner of the Tour de France in 2010. In an interview after his retirement, he told a sobering story. He was invited to speak at a conference after he had won the yellow jersey. The conference organizers booked him on a private jet, received him at the airport, and when he entered the conference venue, he was received warmly. The next year, Andy didn't win the tour. He came in second place. He returned to the same conference as a participant. This time, he took a commercial flight, got to the conference venue on his own, and when he entered the venue, nobody recognized him. Reality hit him, and he thought to himself, the private jet last year was not for me. It was for the yellow jersey. Is there a word for this kind of experience? The experience of being wanted for what you can bring and not for who you are. Situations where your functionality is more important than your personality. Times when we feel like a disposable product, caught upon when required, but discarded after use. Is there a word for the feeling of being used? In our passage from Luke, ten lepers who could use Jesus' help came to him when he was passing through their neighborhood. Luke did not specify the location, whether the village was in Samaria or Galilee, because he wanted to leave the identities of the lepers in suspense. This is so that Jewish readers would snobbishly assume that the one who turned back must be one of the Jews in the group. But Luke would surprise them by saying, actually, he is a Samaritan. So from this clever arrangement of words, we know Luke is a very intentional writer. Now, lepers would normally stay away from other people because of the law concerning leprosy. As it is written in Leviticus 13, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So those of you who have been isolated uh, by COVID-19 will have greater empathy for this uh, fate. In spite of this law, these ten lepers drew near to Jesus because they know from reports circulating in the region that Jesus has the power to heal. Of interest to us is the incident recorded in Luke chapter 5. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. Incidents like this one emboldened the lepers to seek out Jesus. Nevertheless, they observed safe distancing, which is why they had to lift up their voices to get Jesus' attention. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, where have we heard this before? Since the lepers know about the incident in Luke 5, and we know what they know, now we all know what Jesus means when he said this. He means to say, I am willing to have mercy, be clean. 
So hearing the promise of healing in this statement, they obeyed his command and went off. And as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, during their departure, as they were turning to leave, they were healed. It's a miracle. Luke is careful to let us know that this was a physical healing. The word cleanse and the word healed indicate that Jesus only cured them of their skin disease. Now, why is this detail important? It is because this healing must be differentiated from the other healing later in the passage. That is in verse 19, where Jesus said to the Samaritan, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well is literally translated as your faith saves you or your faith is saving you. This means that the Samaritan has received from Jesus salvation into the kingdom of God, the gift of eternal life. If the first healing is a superficial cure of the skin, the second is a thorough cure of the soul. So our passage is pretty straightforward, right? Jesus, in his mercy and grace, pardoned the sins of ten lepers, healed the physical bodies of all ten, restored them to society, and he gave eternal salvation to one. So there is a problem, right? Why was salvation given to only one of them? Why didn't the nine receive eternal life as well? It is important for us to know because they have implications for our own salvation. Right off the bat, I have two guesses. One, the nine did not receive salvation because they were ungrateful. Two, the nine did not receive salvation because they did not have faith. For those of you who were in my preaching class, this is the inductive sermon form. Let us consider the first proposition. Was it because the nine were ungrateful? Luke writes, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus was amazed by the Samaritan and disappointed with the nine. Going by the law of cause and effect, it must be something the Samaritan did, which the nine didn't, correct not? So many people latch onto the expression, giving him thanks, and conclude that showing gratitude was what made the difference. If this is true, then the nine did not receive salvation because they were thankless, ungrateful. If this is true, for us to receive salvation, we must show gratitude to Jesus. If this is true, salvation is by gratitude alone. However, if we read carefully, we realize that giving him thanks is just one of the four actions the Samaritan performed. There is also turn back, praising, and fell on his face. When his body was turning back, his mouth was glorifying God at the same time. When he threw himself onto the floor, his lips were expressing gratitude simultaneously. It is hard to tell which is the most important of these actions. Hence, if we focus on thanksgiving, and ignore the other actions, we oversimplify the story. And we also don't do justice to Luke's careful choice of words. Furthermore, when Jesus gave the Samaritan the gift of salvation, he did not say, your gratitude saves you. What did he say instead? Your faith saves you. Therefore, our passage is not just about thanksgiving. If you were taught this as a child or teach this to your children, it's not wrong, huh? 
It's just that the story has a more profound meaning. If it is not because the nine were ungrateful, did they miss out on salvation because they did not have faith in Jesus? After all, all good Anglicans know that salvation is by faith alone. Well, I wish I could say that they don't have faith, then I wouldn't have to struggle in the past two weeks and we can all go home now. Yeah. Uh, but as it is, the nine of them did have faith. And there are two justifications for this. First, in verse 13, they called Jesus Master. In those days, master is an administrative term for an official who has power and authority. When used on Jesus, it means he is someone who has spiritual authority, even supernatural power. And interestingly, in the entire Gospel of Luke, master is nearly always used by the disciples. These lepers are the only exception. Thus, they demonstrate that they have faith in Jesus. Second, the nine obeyed Jesus' command to show themselves to the priests. This obedience is a remarkable thing, especially when we realize that unlike the leper in Luke 5, these ten were told to go before they experienced healing. I mean, it's easy to go to the priest when you see that you're healed, right? But then if nothing has happened, it kind of defies logic. They could have resisted the command. Like how Naaman initially resisted Elisha's command because he couldn't see the logic of washing in the Jordan. Thus, it is a remarkable thing that the ten lepers obeyed Jesus and went. This obedience could only have come about because they believed that Jesus could cause them to be healed. If it's not about thanksgiving and it's not for lack of faith, how then do we explain why the nine did not receive salvation? Different commentators explain it differently. One said, all ten had faith, but the one responded with gratitude while the nine failed to respond. Another said, the Samaritan had complete faith while the nine had incomplete faith. Yet another said, the Samaritan had faith which fell on good soil, but the nine had faith which fell on rocky soil. But I thought, I will put it this way. There are two different objects of faith in this passage. One is a prophet of the Lord. The other is God himself. To be sure, all ten of them believe that Jesus is a prophet of the Lord. They trust that Jesus has direct access to God, just like Elisha. Therefore, if Jesus would show them mercy and intercede for them to God on their behalf, God would heal them. And sure enough, their faith in the prophet of the Lord led to their healing. However, only the Samaritan believes that Jesus is God himself. While he started out like the rest, after the miraculous healing, he recognized the true identity of Jesus Christ. This man is not only a prophet of the Lord, he is God himself. How do we know that the Samaritan believes Jesus is God? We know from his actions in verses 15 to 16. In particular, I want to focus on turn back and fell on his face, which carry much significance. To appreciate the significance of turn back, we must remember where the ten lepers were going to in the first place. They were going to the priests to uh, make the necessary offerings for their ritual cleansing. This is according to the law in Leviticus 14. The priest would have to help them offer up a guilt offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a grain offering in this particular order. If you know Leviticus, that is all the offerings you can offer. 
The guilt offering is made to purify the person from intentional sins against God and neighbor. In the case of leprosy, the blood sacrifice is put on the the blood of the sacrifice is put on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe to cleanse the person of ritual uncleanness. The sin offering is made to purify the person from unintentional sins. The burnt offering is to redeem the person's life so that he need not die as he stands before God's holy presence. And finally, the grain offering is a gift to God as a sign of respect for his holiness and gratitude for his grace. I know offerings are boring, but we can think of them as um, uh, preset text messages to communicate with God. For example, uh, when they offer up a guilt offering, it is to tell God, I'm sorry for what I did. Uh, the sin offering is to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know I did that. Uh, you can read the rest for yourself. And I wonder if you realize already, the lepers were going to say thank you to God using the grain offering. So it's not fair to say that they're ungrateful people. Now, the Samaritan turned back from making these offerings to God. He didn't go to say thank you and sorry to the priest. Instead, he returned to Jesus. And look at how Jesus reacted. Jesus did not reprimand him for disobeying his earlier command. In fact, Jesus commended him for turning back. So how do we explain this turn of events? The only explanation is the Samaritan recognizes that Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate. God with us. Since God is here, why go elsewhere? If you're texting your friend on the phone and you see that your friend is walking towards you, will you continue to send text messages? Yesterday, they're very funny. They say they will. Uh. <laughs> Jokers. Anyway, but no, you will put away your phone, right? We're all more reasonable people. We'll put away our phone and go and speak to them face to face. So also, when the Samaritan realizes that God is right behind him, he stops going to the priest but turns back to meet God face to face. Only those who did not recognize him have to go on their way to continue to look for God somewhere. The other significant action we need to look at is fell on his face. When was the last time you fell on your face? Yesterday, a lot of people fell on their faces. <laughs> Very strange. Huh? What's, what's with the Saturday crowd? Anyway, uh, because maybe this one is older crowd, you'll be careful. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Be careful. Uh, but uh, when was the last time you fell on a face? And I don't mean the accidentally trip and fall type. Then you ask, why would we purposely fall on our face? Actually, someone told me before, she's a nurse. Uh, she went into uh, her sister's bedroom and found her sister uh, flat on the floor on her face. Then she was going to administer CPR when she realized that her sister was actually worshipping God. Then she just <laughs> quietly go out, close the door. Okay. Now, it's not uh, Elizabeth and Rachel, by the way. <laughs> there are other nurses in this church. Anyway, um, yeah, so we don't do that uh, usually, and when it happens, it's a bit alarming, so please only do that in pub, um, private. But in the ancient world, purposely falling on one's face publicly is done to show fear, gratitude, repentance, or reverence for the Lord God. It is recorded at least 22 times in the Bible especially on occasions when God reveals himself in a theophany or when he displays divine power. For example, in 1 Kings 18, in the account of Elijah battling the prophets of Baal, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, 
The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Also in Revelation 7, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Shall we read this together? Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thus, when the Samaritan fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, he didn't trip. He was purposely getting into a posture of worship. And why would he worship Jesus unless he believed that he is God? At the end of the day, this is what it's all about. When we consider all his actions, we find that the Samaritan is the only one who recognizes, acknowledges, and worships Jesus. This faith in Jesus, our great God and Savior, is the reason why he was given eternal life. The nine did not receive God's salvation because they neither recognized nor worshiped him. The implications for us are as follows. First, we too may be saved when we believe that Jesus is God and Savior. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, faith in God, the great I Am, is sufficient. But with the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, there is now a new covenant made with his body and his blood. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. The Apostle Peter testifies to this saying, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Second, obedience, worship, praise and thanksgiving may distinguish us from non-believers, but they do not save us. These actions are merely byproducts of faith, visible evidence of faith within. We may perform these actions to express our faith, but salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now that we're finished with the details of the passage, let us zoom out and try to draw a larger application. Remember the story in the introduction. In a way, Jesus was used by the nine lepers in the same way Andy was used by the conference. Jesus was treated like a disposable power battery while Andy was a glorified clothes hanger. They were both sought after for what they can do and forgotten when the needs are met. Because we don't like the feeling of being used, we don't like the nine lepers and people who are like them. As a result, some of us may be weary of visitors who come to look for help from Jesus and the church. We don't like that they are more interested in what Jesus can do for them instead of what Jesus of who Jesus is. And we suspect that such visitors will not come back once they get what they want or when they realize they can't get what they want from us. Because we don't like that they're using Jesus and using us, we don't really want to engage them, let alone minister to them. But observe how Jesus treats such people. He healed the ten lepers even though they did not know that he is God. And even when the nine still could not recognize him after his miracle, Jesus did not reverse the healing. Jesus was not 
bothered about being used. He was more concerned about being like his father. Indeed, he taught and lived out this teaching. But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Like the Father, Jesus is willing to have mercy on everyone and anyone. If Jesus wasn't merciful to unbelievers, perhaps many of us wouldn't be here today. Because if we are truly honest, how many of us came to church first time because we believe Jesus Christ is God and we want God's salvation in heaven? I'll bet that most of us, apparently all of us here, uh, came seeking Jesus because we needed his help with something in our lives. Some of us wanted healing for our body or mind or heart. Some needed help with school or business or life in general. Others just want to have something to eat, someone to talk to, somewhere to belong. Jesus showed mercy to us even though we started without faith in him. Then one day, by the grace of God, our eyes are open and we see his glory. Now more than ever, we see our desperate need for his help in everything and in every hour. Since we are believers in Jesus Christ, since we are all in need of his mercy, let us welcome everyone who comes to church for help, even if they don't believe. Let us care for the sick and brokenhearted. Let us pray with those who are troubled. Let us provide food for the hungry, friendship to the lonely, and refuge for the marginalized. Who knows, after they have received help, God may open their eyes the next moment and give them salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>